Welcome to the 1000 Hours Outside podcast. My name is Ginny Urich. I'm the founder of 1000 Hours Outside. And I can't even believe it, Dr. Michelle Borba, author of Unselfie, Thrivers, and dozens more books is here with us today. Welcome. Oh, thank you, Ginny. I'm so looking forward to this. Me too. I absolutely adore. This is the one I most recently read, and I'm planning on reading Thrivers. But this book is Unselfie, Why Empathetic Kids Succeed in Our All About Me World, Nine Essential Habits That Provide the Empathy Advantage. It's an absolutely phenomenal, phenomenal, phenomenal book. And I love your bio because it just keeps going and going and going. Internationally renowned educator, award-winning author, parenting child expert. You've spoken in 19 countries, five continents. I would imagine even some of these things have been updated. Clients include Sesame Street, Harvard, U.S. Air Force, 18 U.S. Army bases in Europe and in the Asian Pacific. You've got this TED Talk. You've been on the Today Show over 150 times. (laughs) This is all so cool. What a cool life. Award-winning author of over 24 books translated into 19 languages. You've won awards honorary chairperson for self-esteem in Hong Kong, and it just goes on and on. But you are tackling so many critical topics that parents are interested. Thank you for being here. Thank you from all of the things that you could be doing. Listen, Jenny, you're my new PR person. Thank you. (laughs) So people can find more about you at michelleborba.com, special 1L, Michelle with 1L, and I'll make sure I link to that. But these books are fantastic. Great heading into 2024 for helping your kids, helping your family. And this one in particular that we're gonna focus on today on Selfie talks about empathy. And it was so interesting, Michelle, because I didn't realize that empathy could really be measured. And what you talk about is that empathy is dropping while at the same time, narcissism is rising. Can you just give us a little peek into what's going on with our kids? Oh yeah, and thank you for bringing that up because that's why I wrote the book. I didn't realize the same thing of how extraordinary professors are across the United States and around the world. And they've been tracking, particularly American kids, as they come into college. This is really interesting. Freshman year, thousands of kids over the last 30 years. And it doesn't make any difference which college or which university, but they've been giving them a little simple narcissism personality test. Narcissism, I'm better than you, kind of an issue. Now, that's typical with a two-year-old, but it's not so great when you're 14, 15, 16, and 17. And they started to see a trend around the year 2000 that greatly concerned them and should concern us as parents. That is empathy, the ability to feel with another person, was dramatically dropping in American kids, 40% drop in the last 30 years. They keep comparing each test, each test, each test. While narcissism, I'm better than you, went up 58%. And I hate to say this, Jenny, but it's going to ruin our whole day. But then came COVID. And I recognize that the more distracted you are and just unfiltered with other people, the more likely narcissism is going to continue to go up because they Mm -hmm. haven't had social interactions. So narcissism went up 58%, empathy went down 40%, and it means we all need to have a red flag and go, hey, this is not good. The most important takeaway from all of this session with you and me talking is that our kids are hardwired for empathy. They arrive with the ability to care. But unless we cultivate it, it lies dormant. And one of the big things that's taking us down is today's culture. It's not really a face-to-face kind of a culture where the other person really matters. And we're seeing polarization. We're seeing 
uh, social media. We're saying we all want to blame one thing of the reason for it. But the bottom line is we just need to parent a little differently Mm -hmm. so that our kids turn out to be good human beings. Mm -hmm. What I love about this, Michelle, is it's a topic that really is not front and center. What's front and center are sports, academics. These are the things that are front and center. And so this book about empathy comes in and reminds you that this is an issue that should be front and center. You said this was so interesting. There was a statistic that said, in the late 1980s, so this is obviously, it's been a while, Yeah, 80% of people consider themselves very important, whereas in the 1950s, only 12% did. So these are short spans of time, huge percentage increases, and this is affecting people's well-being. So can we talk about empathy? I probably have never had a conversation with a parent about empathy, although I know the word, I know what it means, and yet your book is pointing to how foundational this is for life success. Will you say empathetic kids succeed? What is it about being empathetic that helps us to have a more successful life? I think the first thing is we got to get rid of the idea that empathy means it's soft and fluffy. It's actually transformational. And once we get that first little, why does it matter? Then it begins to be part of our roadmap for parenting. The second thing we know about empathy that's really critical is that it can be cultivated. But the third thing is there's dozens of really top, top, top. We're talking Harvard. We're talking Gallup. We're talking um, the World Economic Focus and Forums. And they're looking at what's going to really help our children in today's world succeed. And once they look at all these traits, and there are thousands of them, empathy keeps coming up to the top of the plate. Now, you want your child to be employed? Harvard Business Review says empathy is the top employability factor. You want your child to be happy? What parent doesn't want a happy, healthy kid? Then you better add empathy to the plate. In fact, the CDC, who is really concerned about mental health becoming absolutely plummeting with our children, we've never seen such dismal results. One of the biggest reasons, they say, is we're not giving enough face-to-face playtime, sandbox, mud, sand, and dirt, just opportunities to just go out there in the real world. Because as you mentioned, Jenny, it's all about what you get as opposed to who you are and what did you do. Those kind of questions. This is huge. It really is. And And the other thing that before we get talking on this, let's just clear the slate. It doesn't mean you have to hire another fancy tutor. It doesn't mean you have to put a tremendous amount of time and energy into this. This is simple things. And you do not, parent, need a PhD to do this. What I tried to do when I was writing on selfie is look at simple but evidence-based, science-backed things. Oh, my gosh, the people that are studying this for 40, 50 years, they've been looking at kids who are more successful, and they're trying to figure out the why. Who's the happy, healthy, successful kid? And one of the things they realize is how they were parented way back when. So we matter. We really do make a difference. Mm -hmm. It matters. And Thrivers, the subtitle of Thrivers is the surprising reason why some kids struggle and others shine. That draws you in because you do see it. Why is it? I love this book. Just from a pure reading standpoint, I love that you ended each chapter with a new thing. I've never seen that before. So at the end of each chapter, you always had one last thing. I feel like so often a nonfiction book you read the chapter and it ends and you go to the next piece of information. And so I loved that circling back, often a story. I've never seen that before in a book, Michelle. So I really enjoyed that. I cried on page six, page six. Oh, I have to to flip it to figure out what are we crying about? I cried most of the entire book I was writing. Okay, (laughs) I'm not a big crier. 
especially when I read, I cried on page six and I want to tell you the sentence, but we're talking about trying to get kids to play outside as a premise. And a lot of times when we play outside, there's a lot of multi-age experiences that happen. One of the things that's different about society is we're so siphoned off these days in age categories. Kids are not out in the supermarket and we're not interacting with the elderly. We're not interacting with little children. We're really in our own little bubbles. And there's a lot of competition, I think, when you have a bunch of eight-year-olds together, a bunch of nine-year-olds together. And so you talked in this book on Selfie about this program called Roots of Empathy, which is about bringing in babies to the classroom and kids seeing the change in them and learning empathy in that multi-age environment. And the sentence that I cried on, I'm going to hope I can pull it together here. <laughs> I really, Aww. It's like really impactful. feeling you have empathy. Was there, <laughs> there was this boy, this young oh, boy. Precious. And in the story named Jeremy, I'm sure that obviously you changed names. He had come from a hard life and they bring in this baby. The boy is named, oh, Darren. In the eighth grade, hard life. And I used to be a teacher. These kids, Aww. I had kids that had some of the hardest lives I'd ever seen. You know, they seen their parents shot. Their parents were in jail. Some kids just have the hardest lives you can ever imagine. And so you're talking about this boy in the eighth grade. He's been held back. He's now two years older than all the other kids. How embarrassing. And his mom had been killed when he was little. He's in foster homes. He's just hurting. And so they bring in this baby. Someone brings in the baby for this Roots of Empathy program. And he held the baby. And he said, if nobody has ever loved you, (laughs) I can't. you might have to read it for me, Michelle. It's on page six. If nobody has ever loved you, do you think you could still be a good father? Yeah. Empathy is transformational. Let's take a moment to look at this program a minute because we can all do the same thing. The best things that I learned when I was writing on Selfie were lessons from children. Children told me the most profound things. I was a teacher myself. The the two of us are aligned. But the most important thing is Mary Gordon started this program years, years ago in Canada. And Mary Gordon was concerned about empathy and relationships way back when. So what she did is she decided, what if we brought in not a poster or another workbook, But maybe we can teach empathy a different way and make it more real. What she does is that each month, think about a classroom, think about your child's classroom. And once a month, the classroom teacher adopts a baby. You always have a mother who's about ready to deliver. So don't go getting pregnant. You just adopt the baby. (laughs) And once a month, the mom brings the baby in. I was in a classroom, Jenny, I died because I'm sitting there and all the kids are eagerly sitting around a green rug. They can't wait. They said, but the teacher's going to arrive. And they told me where I could sit. Talk about inclusive children. They pointed a place to sit. I said, where's the teacher? They said, she's about ready to come. And they gave me directions. When she comes in, you have to sit really still and don't startle because she cries real easily and sit on your hands so she doesn't get upset. I'm going, who the heck is this teacher? But all of a sudden, the in walks the teacher and all the kids go, oh, our babies come. They've adopted the baby for the year. Now, the mom brings in the baby. The real teacher was just sitting outside waiting for the mom to deliver. But what they do in 30 minutes is what every one of us can do at home, in the carpool, anyplace else. The baby sits in the middle of the circle. And the first question from the teacher is what we can do. How does Clara seem to feel today? And the kids are zeroing in because the gateway to empathy is emotional literacy. You can't feel with another person unless you go, oh, he looks sad or she sounds upset or look how he's standing. He's really frustrated. And the kids start to name emotions. He looks anxious or she looks like she's about ready to cry. 
And one little guy said, she is going to cry. And one little guy said, what should we do? And this precious child said next to me, says, everybody sit real still. Don't startle. Let's start to smile and let's sing a lullaby. Oh my gosh. We all start to sway back and forth. We start to sing a lullaby. Clara starts to cry, to smile. And the little guy next to me goes, Clara's learning empathy. (laughs) I'm like laughing at the kid and I'm going, how do you know? Why does this work? And he said, the most profound thing I think is the takeaway for today. He said, it works because empathy is a verb. I said, what do you mean? He said, you don't learn it on a worksheet. You got to learn it by seeing it and feeling it. And we're learning it and feeling it from Clara. Now, here's the takeaway on that. This program has been used with 800,000 children around the world. What happens in a, in a classroom, it's not one lesson. It's not one lecture, but it's ongoing. Emotional literacy goes up. Empathy goes up. Bullying goes down. Yeah. And kids become more and more inclusive. So your takeaway at your home, first, let's start talking emotions more naturally. You can't learn empathy without how would you feel. By the way, that's a goldmine as a parent because now you can sit there and get into the shoes of your child. How you feel, sweetie pie? And she or he's going to know it's okay to say the emotions. You watch Inside Out or movies or turn the sound off of a movie while you're watching for five seconds and say, how do you think she's feeling? Look at her face. If you don't have a baby or you can borrow the cousin or the kid next door, use a puppy. Use whatever you've got. But start talking emotions because it's the gateway. And that's what they were doing with Roots of Empathy. And it helped Darren because he was really struggling. Mm -hmm. He couldn't touch him in that classroom because of all of the trauma. The teacher knew he needed a special kind of a baby. She brought in a baby that startled. And all of a sudden, she said, this baby doesn't like to be held. And he knew exactly how that felt. He asked to hold the baby. He walked over to a chair. I'm watching this kid rock the baby soothingly. And everybody's shocked. And all of a sudden, you could see a change in Darren. And he realized he could be a change maker to that child. Wow. It's so powerful. And it really gave me pause because... Dr. Peter Gray, who wrote Free to Learn, yes. he talks so much about multi-age experiences. And I think logically, you could see how a younger child would have the advantage when an older child is there, right? Because they're following in the footsteps and they're yeah. growing and they're yeah. motivated and yeah. all of that. But this gave the insight as to what the older child receives right, in that multi-age environment. Well, here's the thing. Sometimes also, Jenny, we have a cutoff of the parent going, oh my gosh, she's 14. She's too old. Oh my gosh, she's 16. So many schools are doing this brilliantly by doing cross-age tutoring. They're having the older kids come into the classroom and teach the little ones because it's hard to, if you don't have that empathy right now or your stress level is too high, it's hard to be able to relate to the same age when you're trying to do these kinds of activities. But if you can do it two to three to four levels down, it's never too late. And it's never too late for us either. Mm-hmm. So many wonderful ways to to teach empathy to kids. And then you even included grandma, which that is really what I was thinking. It's like, oh, we're spending, this is maybe a big difference in the last 20, 30, 40 years yes. is that we used to live more cohesively with a larger yes. breadth of ages that we interacted with. And when we're just with everyone else who's the exact same age, there's competition there. So there's no time to step back and really look, you don't care how anyone else is feeling because they're in competition with you for the teacher's Um, attention, for the grade, for the valedictorian. But you really, when you are with someone who is a different age, like a elderly person or a little child, your perspective completely changes. 
Yeah. And the other thing that, that's wonderful is obviously you could do this with any age individual. But the other thing you can do that I think we overlook is we're so exhausted as parents these days. When you want to make a difference, like, okay, I'm going to add empathy to my plate. And I'm going to help my child become more empathetic. Then don't try to do it yourself. Involve the grandmother, involve the aunt, involve your best friend, involve your spouse and say, let's just find simple little ways to weave this up and take it up a notch. Or even when your child is FaceTiming grandma who might be living 50,000 miles away, hey, look real carefully at grandma's voice and listen, or excuse me, her face and listen to her voice and you'll know when she's tired and then it'll be time to say goodbye. That's a great way to teach empathy to a child. So they're tuning in while they're still having a conversation. Yes. When you say comp- there's a Everyone says competition is crucial for success, but you say that doesn't pan out. There's 80 studies that refute the claim. And talking about this intergenerational experiences, you had this story in there about singing at a nursing home. Wow. Who was it? Was that your story? It was your story. My sons. And the most interesting thing is uh, that, oh my gosh, I have three boys. And I remember Jason, who was, he hadn't been exposed to too many older people because unfortunately our grandmothers passed away at a young age, but Mrs. Myers was an incredible teacher. And what she'd do is she'd say, okay, we're going to adopt the nursing home down the end of the street, but we're all going to walk to it. And I remember him being in a kind of a panic because I don't know how I'm going to relate, but oh my gosh, Mrs. Myers. What she did was comfort the child and all of her students by, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take our kazoos. We're going to wear a funny hat. We're going to walk in. We're going to play some holiday carols. We're going to sing and we're going to make them feel good. Not yourself, but we're going to do something for others. When you do for others, it's actually the healthiest way to boost your happiness and reduce your stress. What do we do? We try to help the child feel for themselves, but feel for others. Jason came home that day just in tears, because he said, I didn't realize I could make everybody else feel so good, mom. They were so, how so happy that we came. Here I go crying again, but I'll never forget the moment. And it was a moment to me to go, hey, we got to do more charitable acts here. So we started just putting a, a box by the door and it became our family charity box, giving back. Now, all you had to do is every time you were done with a book and you didn't want it anymore or a puzzle or a gently used toy or a shirt, just put it in the box. All of us did it. And every time it was filled, it became our family charity box. Our biggest mistake as parents, we're the ones that deliver the box. Don't you dare do that from now on. Bring your child with you. Find an organization to give because every child, you'll see in Unselfie, dozens of kids I've interviewed, but every child said... The moment that changed me was when my mom let me bring that box to whoever it was. The look in that person's eye, oh my gosh, they were so grateful. They started to tear up. So I started to cry. So we had to go home and I said, mom, we got to fill this box up again. And they kept making it into a ritual or routine. Don't do a one-time experience. Find out what works for you as a family and keep doing it over and over again and make it into a, a family routine. Wow. How powerful for a kid to learn at a young age. Yeah. This is a win-win for everyone. Yeah. I can make a difference is one of the coolest ways to boost empathy and resilience. You're more likely to bounce back when you know, I've got this. That's agency. And what we've done is too much. We've done it for the kids and we bubble wrap them and we've done too much helicoptering. And as a result, we rob them of empathy and we rob them of resilience. 
So the, all we need to know is that be aware of it. Step back a little more. Let your kid be a little bit more into control, not the bank account, but on a day-to-day situation. What can you do is a great way to boost empathy and resilience. And what you notice within the book is that in each instance where they take a blanket to the homeless, or in this case, your son goes and sings at the nursing home, they want to do it again. Oh, I mean, this is such a paragraph. This is actually one of the one last things. So when I talk about how you wrap a little bow at the end of each chapter, this was one of those. And I love how you do that. You say one last thing. My oldest son was nine. His teacher had arranged to sing at the nursing home during the holidays. They practiced for weeks, but my son was hesitant because like you said, he hadn't had many experiences with the elderly. He was concerned. He had a little bit of fears. And then he said, they're just like us, mom. Yeah. They like music and get lonely when their family doesn't visit too. A bunch of kids want to go back. Can you take us? Yeah. And then do it. And it became a routine in our family. But there's another, that one little phrase I think is so critical for us. Empathy is we, not me. And one of the things it does is it helps us get rid of the other syndrome. It helps us see people that we're alike. One of the best ways to reduce hate and polarization and racism and everything else that's growing is that when your child, and they will, says he's so different than me. Maybe it's his skin or religion or his height or his weight or whatever. One of the greatest things you can say is, yeah, he is has darker skin or yes, she is blonde or yes, she does live in a different. So how are you alike? And you begin to just open this doorway. Watch your own language too. Watch who you're exposing your children to or the reading books. One of the chapters that is my favorite one, because I'm just love to read, is when I realized the power of books. Eating better is easy with Factors delicious, ready to eat meals. Every fresh, never frozen meal is chef crafted, dietitian approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Also, there are more than 60 add ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. So get started today and get after your goals. Some of the things we love about Factor are their two minute meals. You can fuel up fast with Factor's restaurant quality meals that are ready to heat and eat whenever you are. Our kids love the pancakes, smoothies, and more. And there's a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, including midday bites. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. And remember, to sign up and save, we've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash outside50 and use code outside50 to get 50% off. That's code outside50 at factormeals.com slash outside50 to get 50% off. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Question, what's the first thing you'd do if you had an extra hour in your day? Read a few chapters of that book, start painting that guest bedroom, tackle that pile of laundry, play a card game with your kids. A lot of us spending our lives wishing we had more time. The question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. If you're feeling stuck, therapy is something that can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. Therapy is a wonderful thing. It can help you learn positive coping skills or show you how to navigate properly setting boundaries. With BetterHelp, it's easy to get started. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. 
It's entirely online and designed to be convenient. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try and visit BetterHelp.com slash 1000 hours to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash 1000 hours. Books, literary fiction, when you can step into the shoes of a character is one of the best ways to boost empathy. And I'm not talking parents, Fifty Shades of Grey. I'm talking like Bel Canto or All the Light You Cannot See for us. For little guys, why is Wonder and Harry Potter so popular with children? Ask them. It's because they begin to step in and see the person and the character from a different light. It changes their perspective and their world. Don't start reading out loud to kids. Go outside, bring a blanket, sit on the grass, sit in the snow, read, 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 mm-hmm. or always have books. One of the coolest things you can do to reduce stress, put a, for little guys, put a sheet over a dining room table. It's a reading fort. Just bring in blankets and your dog and your flashlights. And every night, routine, seven o'clock, every night, bigger kids read by themselves. But if they're little, Keep reading out loud to your child Mm -hmm. because it's not Mm -hmm. only going to boost their rating scores, but that's not what it's all about. It's going to boost their empathy scores. Mm -hmm. And that's in this book too. You have a lot of statistics about reading. You really see these changes, these changes in the cohesiveness of community where kids are only with a lot of times, especially if kids are packed in schedules, then what that means is they started the morning at swim practice, I think that's one of the things, you know, they were so busy. They started the morning there with everyone is their same age. And then they spend the entire day and everyone is their same age. And then they go to their gymnastics and everyone is the same age. So we've lost that piece yeah. of interacting. Yeah. We've lost interacting in general. Yes. You're talking about face to face. That's one of the books. And we've lost reading. Yeah. It's <laughs> You have the statistics in here. They are abysmal. And what a thing, like when you say, relate to another person. What a thing for a nine-year-old boy to say about someone in a nursing home, they're just like us. Oh, wow. And then you yeah. wonder, you know, as the mom, gosh, if I hadn't given him that opportunity, would he have ever, sometimes do you assume? And we can't. So we're seeing a nosedive in children's reading for pleasure. There's another reason why we better add reading to the score. What we have discovered is it's going to be a coping strategy. As stress builds for kids, one of the coolest things you can do is just have everybody have a book if they love to read or you can read out loud because it actually brings stress down. And that's what we need right now. One of my favorite stories in this book was the book about the hundred dresses. Oh, I love that book. And then there was the story about how it really changed. There was a child at a school that came in the same clothes a lot. And I remember that as being a teacher that these kids are coming and they probably don't have access to a washing machine and things are hard at home and they're wearing the same thing every day. And the people in the story that you tell, one of the ones reaches out to the other one who sits alone, who doesn't seem to have any friends. It's so powerful. And the reason given is the book made me feel differently about Ryan and me and maybe want to do something to help. Reading makes our kids kinder. So let's camp here for a little bit. Yes. You touched on it. It helps us to step into the shoes of someone else, which is really a beautiful thing. But reading rates are declining. Plummeting is the word that you use. Plummeting. 45% of 17-year-olds admit they read by choice only once or twice a year. Yeah. And one of the big reasons for that is we're not exposing kids to books. The interesting thing is the more books you have in your home, And by the way, you go to the library, our local library, I can pick up a bag of books for like $5, just used books. Or you can also partner them around your neighborhood. 
find some like-minded moms and dads and start just having book clubs. I see so many moms also who are starting um, mother-daughter book clubs or dad and son book clubs. You know, all you have to do is have the kids come to your house and serve pizza and read a book like Hundred Dresses or Wonder or whatever, or have the kids choose what book should we read together? It's one of the greatest things that you then shut your mouth and listen to your kids. You'll get them tuned into absolutely wonders of life. Not only are our children reading less for pleasure, but now if you look at horrific reading scores are also going down. And one of the reasons is kids say, I just don't have time to read. Look at your calendar. Is there one little thing you can just get off the calendar that your kid really doesn't need? Just an hour a week can free up life. We schedule and schedule and schedule and schedule. They don't have downtime and love time. And when you're reading with your child, would you do one more thing? What kinds of books are you exposing your children to? Expose kids to differences. If your daughter's only reading books about girls, then how about every once in a while reading a book about a boy or races and cultures and creeds? Just be a little craftier on it. One of your best resources in the world is your children's reference librarian. Hi, what are some great books that kids love to read? And she'll give you lessons. I love children's librarians. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is critically important. You say people who read fiction are more capable of understanding others, empathizing and seeing another person's point of view than those who read nonfiction. Don't stop reading aloud, which is a really big thing I learned from this book called Read Aloud Family. I would have thought as soon as they can read, I should stop. But you say, no, don't stop. Keep reading out loud. It's enjoyable for you and for the whole family. And like you said at the beginning, this can be relatively simple. Do things for other people. Read more books. Here's one. Turn the television off when you're not watching it. Yay. Yay. And the reason for it, this is the American Medical Association, the American Academy of Pediatrics. One of the things we're realizing is some of our kids, well, let's get real here. Our focusing abilities have gone down and our kids are having a harder and harder time staying into attention. But one of the reasons for it is background noise. Please turn off anything. We could be three rooms down. Turn it off. How about earphones for your child if it works for your child? Music for some kids work. It doesn't work for all kids, but find what works for your child. Stick to the routine and ritual and don't think this is just for little guys. One of the sneaky things I did when my kids were older and high school, I would always find out what the reading assignments were for the novels. And then I would always make sure I checked out that same book. I never read the book to my kids. They were responsible for it. But I read it myself, and I will tell you, is some of the most fascinating conversations. Their friends would come over, and they'd look at me like, you know that book? Yeah, what do you think about page 33? And they'd look like, oh, was that amazing? Conversations were extraordinary. Don't stop reading, but you can also be sneaky and find other ways to keep the conversation going. You're going to grandma's house 50,000 miles away, then you can also listen to books as a family in the car. And that's a way to adventure together because yeah. you have the same characters and the imagination. Yeah. And I love that. And you said the TV for every hour and audible background television is on, there's 50 to 1,000 fewer adult words spoken and heard by kids. And that 30% of households, a third of us are leaving the TV on even when no one is watching. So that's a change that someone could make. Turn it off. And then face-to-face communication. Yeah, let's talk that. Well, this is a huge statement, Michelle. The single best predictor of healthy emotional interaction is a lot of face-to-face communication. And that has plummeted. 
extraordinarily plummeted. And my big thing on that one, you don't need the research, just go to a restaurant. Everybody's looking down, not up. And what we do now, when I was looking at empathy, my goal in writing on selfie was to figure out, okay, if you can cultivate it, and science says it's so critical, then what are simple science-backed ways we can start weaving this into our homes? Number one is we've got to talk emotions far more. But the best way to do so is actually look at the person's face and not down. The fascinating thing, Jenny, this is really traumatic to me, because I spoke in, I speak in schools all over the world. And I always try to speak before I talk to the parents or the teachers with a focus group of kids. Hmm. Oh, my gosh. If you want to know an answer to a problem or a concern, talk to a teen. And the first thing they, they're telling me is we can't read each other like we used to. These are very sharp kids in high-level schools. And I'd say, why? He says, because I think we're just looking down. We're not looking up. I go to high schools. I can walk across a parking lot and across from hall passing time, which I always do. And if the school has, the kids are allowed to use cell phones, even hall passing time, they're not talking to one another. They're looking down and they're texting to one another or somebody else, or they're checking their screens. I got to the point where I started saying, hey, how are you? Hello, how are you? Nobody was saying hello. I finally pulled one kid aside and I said, why doesn't anybody say hello here when I try to say hello? And she looked at me and she said, because it's not cool to say hello anymore. Wow. This is a very prestigious, won't name the name, but high level, pricey school. And that's what's happening. What happens, I know we're raising digital natives. That's part of their lives. But it means as parents, what we need to do is be crafty and aware of it. And we need to find some unplugged times when we talk we look at where our times, first of all, it would be the family meal, I would hope. Second of all, would be maybe the carpool. They're locked in the car with you for Pete's sakes, use advantage of it, but have conversations because the other things kids said is not only are they not reading each other because they're not looking at the facial expressions of one another. And by the way, that's the fastest way you learn emotions. Mm-hmm. How does she feel? How's she doing? And that you can't step into somebody's shoes and help unless you know he looks like he needs help. But there's so many other things you can do along the way, Jenny. And I think that's what we need to really be mindful of. Mm -hmm. And the schools, I think, should think about it because what a crummy teenage adolescent phase. No one's talking. What a loss. I hear it doesn't matter the school. What I hear is cafeterias are silent, passing time silent, the class ends, everyone's on their phone. Like what kind of an existence are we giving our kids? It's such a bummer. Yeah, in all fairness to schools, I go to a lot of schools and I say, why aren't you curtailing it? And the biggest reason is because the parents are to want it. Yeah. So get on board because I've been in schools where they have finally decided enough is enough. But what they did, and I think we all need to do something brilliant. They got a team of parents, teachers, administrators, psychologists, and even kids. And for one year, they studied the impact of social media. At the end of the year, Parents were on board and said, okay, enough is enough. Let's yeah. curtail it and not allow it. Yep. Now is the time. We got to step in. We are the adults. Yeah. You talk in this book about bullying. And yeah. obviously, as kids become more narcissistic and less empathetic, you would expect to see a rise in bullying. And you say it increased a whopping 52% between 2003 and 2007 in just four years. Yeah. Cyberbullying. One in five middle school students contemplate suicide as a solution to peer cruelty. And yet you told this incredible story of a girl who stepped in. It was like an experiment, but she didn't know. There's all these actors. Oh, we're on Dateline. 
Mm -hmm. Lucy, she stepped in and all the other parents thought their kids might, but this one stepped in and she had the courage, the moral courage. Where does that courage come from to be the one that's not, you call it an upstander, not a bystander? Uh, well, yeah, first of all, let's do the, the backstory and then let's do it, what we can do about it. Yeah. At any time in our life, we now know bullying is most likely to increase and escalate during middle school years. The one in five has now increased dramatically. We blame cyberbullying, but in reality, new research says it starts with a lack of empathy and it starts face to face. If a kid gets away with it face to face, they begin to see, oh, so much easier to do anonymously and cyberbullying. So what Dateline did is contact me as the expert. They actually brought in dozens of kids. All the children were dropped off because the parents thought they were coming for a reality show audition. They didn't realize. In reality, we'd hired three kids to assume the role of bullies and a henchman, a helper, and a victim. And then three kids at a time would come in just off the tart, thinking that they were auditioning for a reality show. And what we would watch is the kids who were the actors start to bully one other child who was another actor. Do any of the three kids, and these are dozens of kids all day long, do any of them step in? Over and over again, no. Until at the very end, and I'm sitting with the parents, and when I told one dad what it really was, in a few minutes, you're going to see some bullying because they're in, behind a, a two-way mirror. The kids don't know that their parents are watching. We're here to see if anybody steps in. He becomes the most adamant parent I've seen all day long. Well, she better. I said, what do you mean she better? She better because we talk about this a long time. We role play. How do you step in? We talk about if you see somebody being hurt, this is what you can do. Oh, she better step in. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, I have a feeling she will. Her name was Lucy. The bullying started and Lucy was absolutely textbook. Oh, Jenny, I started to cry and everybody else started to cry because she was aware of what was going on. And she did simple little things that her dad had taught her. She moved closer to stand by the bully, not the kids who were the bystanders, but the bully. She did other things like, do you need some help? And turned to the child who was the actor, but do you need some help? Oh, the bully who was acting was vicious until finally nobody was helping. She turned to the bully. Can you imagine a girl turning to a very good looking guy who was 13 and say, cut it out. You're really hurting him. And that's not nice. The producer walked in and said, don't let this kid be part of the show. He's bullying this other kid. Dad stood up. He starts to cry and go, oh, my God, that's my kid. And I turned to the producer and said, you better get in there and help Lucy because she's going to have post-traumatic stress in a minute. I walked in and said, Lucy, how you doing? This was all a fake. We're trying to see if kids step in. She said, you mean he really wasn't hurt? I said, no, she starts wow. to stop. And she said, I felt so bad for him. I said, Lucy, it's because you have empathy. And that's what we're trying to help the, oh my God, you can't believe that impact. And it was that one moment back to how did she get it? Her father was intentional about teaching it. Yeah. But then what he did that I think is the takeaway here, empathy just isn't something you talk about. He showed her how, and that's the missing piece for too many kids. How do you step in? How do you be assertive? How do you go when you're walking to the nursing home and be friendly or say hello to people? Here's another thing. How do you do face-to-face -face connection? Simple little thing. You start with face-to-face -face connection and maybe parents, what we need to do is model it ourselves a little more. If our kids have been masked for the last couple of years and they're not doing face-to-face -face or they're looking down, go on walks with your kid outside, go bicycling or take them to the supermarket and then intentionally without your kid knowing it, 
Say, hi, how are you? Good to see you. Look at people. Talk to them. What happens is we now know it's the best way to teach social skills. And those skills are then modeled by kids. Mm-hmm. It's so interesting. There's a book out called It Starts With Hello. Oh. And she's talking about how every relationship that you ever have starts with hello. Yeah. And we've gotten away from that. And in your book, you say be friendly. I mean, we are at the point in society where books have to tell us to be friendly. That's sad. And you talk about here where there was the friendliest place on earth. Oh. Tell us about it. Yeah. Okay. I have been looking for simple ways to form healthy habits and get the nutrients my body needs when my immune system feels unsupported. And that's why. I decided to give AG1 a try. Not only does AG1 deliver my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics and more, but it's a powerful healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day. And it makes me feel nourished and ready to face the day. As a parent, longevity is on my mind more than ever before. I wanna make sure I'm taking really good care of myself so I can continue to show up for the moments that matter with my kids. Every day, AG1 helps me build long-term health with daily nutrients that support brain, gut, and immune health. All it takes is one scoop a day, and I'm setting myself up for the long run. AG1 is a supplement I trust to provide the support my body needs daily, and that's why I'm excited to welcome them as a new partner. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and 5 free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash 1000. That's drinkag1.com slash 1000. Check it out. When the skies open up while others seek shelter, I embrace the rain. Heading to my favorite hike, the raindrops are like a soothing melody and my vessies ensure each step is dry and comfortable turning a simple outing into a rather delightful experience. Whenever my kids and I are stepping into a great outdoors adventure, I love wearing Vessi's Stormburst boots to capture the beauty of springtime landscapes. Their robust style is perfect for our nature excursions, adding a little dash of elegance to our outdoor explorations. This spring, transform how you view wet weather with Vessi. Their Dymatex technology makes their shoes not just waterproof, but a stylish barrier against rain and puddles. Whether it's a sudden downpour or a planned seaside walk, Vessi shoes ensure your feet stay dry and comfortable. Embrace the essence of spring with Vessi. From chic city walks to adventurous treks, find the perfect pair for your lifestyle at Vessi.com outside and enjoy an automatic 15% off your first order upon checkout. That's V-E-S-S-I dot com slash outside for 15% off your first order. Parents, I don't know if you're aware of it, Ginny, but every year UNESCO does the most a phenomenal study where they try to figure out in the whole world, where are the friendliest places that we should go and live? They've knotted it down. You can go online and you can see them all, but they knotted it down to the more affluent places versus the more underprivileged places. And one place kept coming up, Vanuatu. Now, many people don't know where the heck Vanuatu is. I discovered it's this little island in the South Pacific. And I kept going, why is this place so friendly? So I decided to take a little trip to Vanuatu. The whole book is filled with where I went to find these answers. I walked onto the island 
And within seconds, I am met with two kids that go, hi, how are you? I'm glad you're here. And I'm looking at them going, oh my gosh, every place I went in the island, hi, how are you? I'm glad you're here. It was so friendly that I finally pulled all day long. I don't care if it was the grownups or the kids, which is an important concept. The grownups were modeling it to the kids. I finally pulled two kids aside and said, why are you guys so friendly here? And they turned and looked at me and goes, oh, it's because everybody else is. And that was my takeaway going, whoa, that's how you raise a happy place. Now, you may not be able to raise a happy country or a happy nation, but you can raise a happy village. You can raise a happy neighborhood. You can raise a happy school. You can raise a happy street. You can raise a happy home. And it starts with, hi, how are you? And that's the beginning stage for empathy. This is the book, right? Turn the TV off. Yeah. Read books to your kids. Be friendly. Everywhere residents greeted you with a sincere hello and a smile and seemed genuinely interested in you. Michelle, I have only gone through... That's like one page of my notes here. You talk about generational changes. You talk about anxiety and stress, play. There is so much in this book. Schools have gotten rid of recess. Recess is a place where kids learn empathy through play. Let's talk about this family reunion test because I have that bolded and in red and it stopped me in my tracks. (laughs) So you have this family reunion test where you say, no matter where I speak, I get the same reaction. I felt this stunned to silence and we're not even super big into academics or any of these types of things, stunned silence and a strong dose of guilt. Can you talk about the family reunion test? Yeah. First of all, my question is really simple. And I don't care if it's a group of parents with toddlers or teens or college age kids. One thing along the way is I let them know, you know, that character is not something you're born with. Empathy is not something you're born with. You need to be intentional. So I'm going to ask you, Pretend you're at your family's reunion and it's 40 years from now and your kids are all grown up and they're healthy and happy because that's what we all want. But what are the traits you want to see in your child? What are you hoping that's in your kid? And don't tell me financial solubility. I'm talking about character traits. For instance, honesty or respectful or kind. I don't care what it is. There's no right or wrong. What are the traits you hope? Pick it up. Put your pencil down. What have you already decided? And nine times out of 10, the majority of parents look at me stunned because they had never thought of it through. It is the first beginning thing, Jenny. If you were to do one thing from just today, stop, pick up your pencil and say, how do I want my kids to turn out? Choose one or two. It doesn't have to be the same as your parenting partner because you'll find simple ways to weave them in. And then once you write down, I want them to be kind, then ask yourself a couple of questions. When's the last time you talked about it with your child? When's the last time you modeled it to your child? There are so many simple ways to do everything we're talking about, but we take on too much and we make this too hard. If you have an intentional family reunion, here's what we're going to do. And here's the character traits I want. You'll find ways to weave this into your day-to-day parenting. And that's the best way to parent anyway. And what everyone's doing is they're going after achievement. Yeah. Even though they would say if they took a second to think about it, that is not what I ultimately care about. And yet as a society, that's where we're heading for rank scores, competition, test obsessed, practices, debate clubs, all of these different things, the Ivy League edge. So really important things to think about. You have an entire chapter on play. Yep. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to play and play more. Play has the power to bring out the best in every kid. How does play help a child learn to be empathetic? Well, number one, it helps them relax. (laughs) You don't need anything else. It's unbelievable on just when a kid doesn't know what to do, you open up the door and say, go. But the second thing, and but you better 
do it with them because so many kids do not know how to play. The second thing is we do know that the best way to learn any of these skills, remember, is not me, but we. So get play dates, get other kids involved, sit down in the sandbox with your child, go on bike walks with your kid. First of all, you'll discover that it becomes a we operation. And then you can learn the beginning skills to empathy for little guys would be taking turns. It's my turn and it's your turn. Later on, it could be how to be a good sport, how to say, how you doing? What would you like to do? All these things become wonderful opportunities. Here's the thing that we overlook. Stress is building. And I know that's not a big surprise to anybody. We look at the scores and it's unprecedented. When I wrote on Selfie, it was one in five American kids was going to suffer from a mental health disorder. It's now one in three. But here's the thing. When stress goes up, what do you dial down? Your empathy, because you're in survival mode and you need to take care of yourself. When you keep dialing your empathy down, in reality, your stress goes up and parents go, what do I do? Open the door and say, there's something called outside or dust off shoots and ladders, dust mm-hmm. off chess, dust off anything, because those actually play not only help your kid relax, but they also teach you face-to-face connection. You're mm-hmm. facing one of the most amazing places. I was in Armenia and I was working at another country. And they said, you've got to get to Armenia because as a country, what they decided to do is boost character as well as achievement. But how are they going to boost character? They hire a chess teacher. They're one of the best chess masters in the world. But in any case, I walk into, I don't speak Armenian, but I walk into the second grade and all the kids are playing chess. And I'm looking at the kids playing chess and I'm going, oh my gosh, this is the most profound way other than the baby. Here's part two of how to teach each, I could see the kids face to face with each other. No cell phones. They're connecting mm-hmm. with each other. They're playing mm-hmm. and it's relaxing. But the other thing I'm seeing is that the kid is looking at the other kid, trying to size up their body language to go, does she really know where she's going to move that piece? You can teach perspective taking brilliantly with shoots and laps. It's just uh, shake hands. We're going to do our best, play to the end. And you got to, oh, here's another thing. You got to say good job to your father or your brother or your aunt or your whoever you're playing with at least three times. You're weaving in sportsmanship and they'll be able to do the same thing on a swing. And it's fun. It's It's fun. Board games are fun. Another, same, Michelle, like another simple solution. Play more games together. There are so many phenomenal games to choose from. You had a quote in here from Jeremy Rifkin who says, it is difficult to imagine how empathy could develop in the absence of play. And then you say, in our fervent quest to help kids succeed, we may be overlooking that the optimum training ground for learning empathy and rules to get along are asphalt, foursquare, and sandboxes. Simple, simple, simple. Kids crave them and they're not getting them. And when they do go outside, yeah, okay, they can continue to play soccer or learn to swim. But they also need relaxing downtime when there's no competition. It's just enjoying yourself and enjoying your own company, figuring Mm -hmm. out who you are. I've got more teens who tell me one of the biggest concerns they have right now is they just don't feel balanced. I mean, what do you mean? And they'll say, I don't know. I feel like empty. I said, well, what would help you not feel empty? Walking. Walking. What does walking do? Well, walking for me just gets me back into her perspective. It makes me feel relaxed. I said, why don't you walk? I don't have time to walk. Shooting baskets. 
playing in a sandbox. We overlook the simple stuff that doesn't cost a dime, but it's already there for us. The local park down the end of the street. And it's a great way to interact with your kid as well. Do you know one other little thing? Hmm. Many of our kids are not, you know, parents are always asking me, how do I get my kid to talk? The way you get your kid to talk is not sitting with him face to face if he's stressed out. Go walk together. Go bike together. Go play Legos together. Sit in a sandbox together. Sit side by side. And what you discover is when your kid is doing something, very often they're more likely to open up because they're relaxed. There is so much in this book that is so practical. And what an interesting thing, Michelle, if the statistics have gone from one in five to one in three in less than a decade. Yeah. In less than a decade, we really have a responsibility to try and pull it back and to implement these simple things that are not necessarily easy to do because we're busy, but they're simple to understand. And so it starts with adding some more space into your life, adding more space into your calendar, prioritizing the simple things that people used to have naturally woven into their lives, like face-to-face interactions and saying hello and playing games. And you said that kids are so stressed. It's at an all-time high. And our kids' stress tops our stress levels. Yeah, I think sometimes we're not tuning into that. And in all fairness, maybe right this moment, we should pause and step into the shoes of our kid. Let's do empathy instead of teaching our kids. Let's empathize ourselves. How do you think your kid is feeling growing up right now with the images that they're seeing about the world? More and more kids are saying, what's the point? One of the things I think we need to be aware of is that if you only see the bad images, and that's one of the reasons why you want to turn that TV off, it creates what's called George Gerber calls mean world syndrome. You begin to see the world as a mean and scary place, and that robs your empathy and it robs your hope and optimism. So if you could do anything else, one little point is start looking through the newspaper. It's always in the back pages and it's about this big, but there are extraordinary stories, particularly about children who are doing wonderful things. It's called an elevating empathic experience, and it's wonderful to build empathy. Many parents are taking those stories pasting them on index cards. And that's what they talk about during dinner. Did you hear about what these kids are doing in Ohio? Let's just do Ohio. Their neighbor was so by herself. She's 80 years old, says the kids. Mom, she's all by herself and she's lonely. Bless the mother. She said, so what can you do? Let's dress up, drag our cellos, because they love to play cellos. And these are eight, 10-year-olds. Down the end of the street, we'll sit on the porch, we'll knock on her door, we'll social distance, and we'll just give her a cello concert. Oh, how wonderful is that? So they did. Mom videoed it. By the way, at the end of the cello concerts, half the neighbors had shown up. They were in tears and they were crying. The neighbor was crying. The kids were crying. And then mom put it on Facebook. What happened? Children all over the world, Jenny, saw that show. I mean, we're talking about a clip on Instagram, on Facebook. And what they did, they copied it. They said, I could do the same thing because my neighbor's lonely. So you're seeing ukulele concerts in Sacramento. There was flute concerts in Florida. (laughs) There was guitar concerts in Italy because you're showing kids what you can do. And that is a wonderful way to not only boost empathy, but also give them hope. Mm, I love that you ended with that because you do that in your book. You model that. You end in the near the end of the book. You're talking about this one that's going to get blankets and even all these stories about the hundred dresses and the one that held the baby. Like you're giving the stories that give you hope and show you that small changes can make 
an incredible difference. Michelle, this has been an absolute delay. I love this book, Unselfie, Why Empathetic Kids Succeed in Our All About Me World. And next on my list to read is Thrivers, which just came out two years ago. The Surprising Reason Why Some Kids Struggle and Others Shine. Fantastic writing. I know, obviously, because you have 24 books and they've been translated in all these different languages. So I'm sure so many people have said the same thing to you. But I just loved how this book wove the, the end of the chapter into the beginning and drove the point home in a way that makes you feel that you can make substantial changes starting now. And so beautiful work, Michelle Borba, 1L. Dot com. They can find more information about you there. We always end our show with the same question. And the question is, what's a favorite memory from your childhood that was outside? Oh, my gosh. My dad built a swing. And I, it was so fun because that swing was so simple. And what I loved to do was go sit on the swing a couple of reasons. Number one, I loved it when my dad would push me because I actually was talking with my dad. The second thing I loved is that I'd swing and then close my eyes and imagination would bloom. It was just, I, I just let the whole world of make the clouds into pictures, make the whole, everything around in our backyard just make into imagination. And I found that I couldn't wait to go swinging again. So it was, that's what helped me. Our goal is find what helps you and what helps your child and turn it into a routine and a ritual. Make it simple. And that's how we raise strong kids. Thank you so much, Michelle. You're welcome. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the 1000 Hours Outside podcast. Make sure you leave a review because it really helps the show and make sure that you're following along so you don't miss any new episodes. Real truth alert, pregnancy, birth, and having a baby isn't all sunshine and rainbows. I wish it were. But the reality is that many people struggle and suffer through this time without the right help or even knowing what they're dealing with. I'm perinatal psychologist, Dr. Katayun Kayeni, also known as Dr. Kat. My podcast, Mom and Mind, aims to shine a light on the difficult reality that so many hopeful and new parents experience and raise the volume on how we can better support mental health, which is a big part of our overall health. Episodes include personal stories from people who have healed through things like pregnancy and postpartum anxiety, depression, PTSD, and so much more. I also talk with specialists and experts who explain and educate on these conditions. All of this to support parents to know that they are not alone, that healing is possible, and there are resources that can help you today. Listen into Mom and Mind and walk with me through the world of perinatal mental health.